Welcome to Last Call, Jamie and Christian. Our guest today, Fran Frischilla, one of the most curious and passionate basketball people you will find in our game today. Currently works on ESPN as an analyst, head coach for the USA FIBA 3-on-3. Three three. And I remember you, Coach, as a great head coach, 176 wins in nine seasons at Manhattan, St. John's, and New Mexico. It's my complete pleasure to welcome you to Last Call. How are you today, Coach? Jamie, and I'm doing great. I've been following you. Your this podcast is is wonderful. It's uh, it's educational, and uh, I'm blessed. You know, I'm I haven't worked a day in my life, honestly. Uh, 23 years as a coach, 20 years as a broadcaster, and uh, love basketball. You know, it's it's consumed my life every day, other than my family. And uh, I can't, I can't. I really, when the good Lord takes me home, I'm going to say thank you, <laughs> thank you, because I had a good life here. And uh, hopefully I'll end up in the right place. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say this and I'll put, I'll put this on tape here. You know, I, you're, you're definitely going to end up in the right place. I mean, you know, one <laughs> thing that happens when you're out for basketball is, you know, yeah. special people sort of reach out and connect with you and, yeah. and you reach out to me so often and it's so appreciative. Like I can't do anything for you. So no, man, if you reach no. out, it just means a ton, you know? Well, you know what? Um, I just learned many, many years ago to pay pay it forward. You know, it's a cliche, but so many people helped my early career. Just lost a guy, Billy Hahn. You know, you know, yeah. Billy passed away, and Billy was like my big brother. He's the one that got me into college coaching, and uh, and so yeah, when you when you can um, when you can just share what you know with other people who have the same passion as you do, I always tell young coaches wisdom is a bunch of failures and some successes. Yeah. And I got a lot of wisdom, you know. <laughs> so uh and and so you try to pass on to, you know, the next generation guys like yourself like um hey, you might not want to do it that way. <laughs> it didn't work for me. Uh but I I'm passionate about what I do, passionate about my family and my faith, and I I just uh I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Yeah. I really am. I love that you're such a ball guy. And I feel like yeah. guys who just love ball right now, I feel like guys like us are really few and far between, right? There's like a lot of great guys that are marketing, yeah. that are doing all these yeah. different things and people that just love ball. And, you know, for you to go from all the different levels, I mean, even the your, we'll talk a lot about your international understanding of basketball too. And yeah. the European yeah. side of it, like you've just continued to, to phase up in different ways to stay in the game. And it, I'm really excited about this combo. You know, I I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, as you probably know, and um, Brooklyn College remember, graduate, correct? Yeah, I tell people I went to BC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they think that's fancy, but I really went. But uh, yeah, and but honestly, like I was one of those guys. You've heard about this from like people my generation. Like you hear about the playground and the yeah. asphalt courts, and that was me growing up. You know, I'm five eight. You know, so. I was usually the littlest guy and oftentimes the whitest guy on the courts. I was playing. And, but I was one of those guys that like would get his butt kicked the night before at, at the park when the old guys, you know, came home from work, had dinner and they, they went down to the park. And then when they would kick your butt and I was like 16 years old trying to make my high school team, I'd be back at the park the next day in the morning at 8 AM working on the stuff that didn't work the night before. And literally, I was a guy that, you know, growing up in high school, going up through high school years, I literally played seven hours a day. Honestly, yeah. I, I played, you know, and you may have done the same thing. Absolutely. Went to lunch. My mom cooked, a, made a sandwich. 
peanut butter and jelly, went back to the park <laughs> in the afternoon, went back home for dinner. And then when the old guys came back to the park, I went back and tried to get a little better. Yeah. And I've been, I've been consumed with the game ever since, you know, and I think when you're my size too, you're always thinking like a coach, you know, you're always trying to figure out on a, on a playground. You wanted to be the guy on the playground where they go, Hey, take the little guy, yeah. little guy, little guy can play. He knows what he's doing. And, you know, cause in my playgrounds, probably like some of the playgrounds you grew up on yeah. Saturday morning, man, you know, you had to, you had to bring it. Otherwise you're going to wait, you know, five or six games. And yeah. so I think all that growing up in that, that area of New York was an education in itself. And it really spurred my basketball education. Yeah, Playground. no, it, it's great. <laughs> you say that it, it's funny. I was working on this piece, you know, I do some, I do a bunch of different college basketball, right. And one of the things I was writing about yeah. was I think people struggle with like corporate America and yeah. pure analytics guys, just yeah. pure data guys. Yeah. They sort of struggle with the fact that, basketball is essentially is all about your pickup yeah. and yes. everything that every one of us learns starts in pickup. And so there's yes. just small nuances that are happening in the game that maybe are not statistical that totally. certain people just sort of pick up. Right. It's, you know what, how about basketball etiquette? Yeah. You know I mean, arguing about a call, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what would you call that? Confrontational, uh, uh, management, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like we ain't, hey guys, all right. Like here's the one thing you learn on the playground when you when you're on a sideline. Hey, Fran, who's that off? I man, I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, there's little educational things. Yes, that I learned on the schoolyard. Like I learned how to be part of a team. When yeah. you're the when you're the youngest guy or the guy that's the least talented, don't screw up your team. Don't make the mistake that causes you to lose like 21 19. Don't take a bad shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Uh, and then when you become a good player, you're the guy that has to take over. I got to that yep. point in my, and then, but just a confrontation and uh, conflict management. Yep. And then I, I'm, I'm talking trash to you. You're talking trash to me. And after the game, it's good game, man. Yeah. Good, you know what I mean? Like those like, are the things I wish I, I try to tell young coaches and players. Like if I, I know I got that growing up and so much of it is yeah. translates to life. It really yeah. does. Team well, you know, even, even when you watch these playoffs, it's like, how do you foul hard without hurting yes. somebody? Like I right. learned that playing on the playground where you're playing on, on asphalt. Like I want to, I, I don't want to give up game point, Yeah. but, but I want to, but we want we, we need the ball back. So I'm going to foul you hard. I'm going to give you ball. You yeah, times the now in the NBA, these guys yeah. are not a foul hard. No. And I'll tell you the funny thing about that is like, when we take this USA team overseas, I took a, my three on three team and we'll talk about that. But like, this is such a small community because not a lot of people know about three on three yet. I said, and, and we pick great kids, I tell, you know, all G League guys. And I said, we're not going to be the ugly Americans. We don't, we don't dunk on somebody and stand over them on this yeah. tour. We knock somebody down, we help them up. And they do the same with us. We play yeah. Serbia, Lithuania. So like, there's that, that, that's missing a little bit in the NBA now. Like, yeah. I don't see anybody pick up an opponent. Well, not in the playoffs. I, I, I think they're not. finding each other if you pick them up in the playoffs. That's the old Pat Riley uh, yes. Knicks, right? Yes, yes. And so, you know, like, again, you got to know that etiquette. And, and again, point game, you know how that was, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you know, no, we always said in my neighborhood, no autopsy, no foul, man. Come on. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, so anyway, it started in Brooklyn. I was 14 years old. I fell in love with this game. And, it's my passion. Um, no, it's it, it's just such a great game. Um, and it, I think yeah. he, as you 
you know, when you're in it and you're like trying to build a team and doing stuff, like you appreciate yeah. it a different way. <laughs> when you're when you take a step back, you appreciate yeah. the, all the other things about it as well. Um, let's talk about this three on three because I like I love three on three. I, I really believe I, I really believe three on three is going to really start taking over. You're going to see flag football um, with yeah. women in, in football. Yeah. You're going to see three on three really taking off. I remember when hoop it up was like one of the yes. biggest things that was touring around the country. Yeah. So I love this three on three revolution. Talk a little bit about three on three, how you got involved and some of the things you're learning with it. Well, first of all, probably like you, we all grew up again, playground and you only had six guys. We're playing three on three half court. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, we had a small enough court in our neighborhood, like uh, that we would play three on three full. Yeah. But yeah. Three on three on three half court is how you learned how to play with ball movement and pick and roll and give and go and all that stuff. And so I knew it was kind of a new sport. I'd see it, you know, on video or something. And then last February of 22, uh, Jay Demings from USA Basketball reached out to me, knowing I live here in Colorado Springs. And he said, I want to have dinner with you. And I had a feeling it was going to be about this. I don't know why. And he said, we'd love to have you be the national director of our world tour team, which is essentially the, the national team. Yep. Uh, and, and so I said, uh, I've always been one of those guys. I, I love, I love my country, major in American history. Um, when I was a young coach, I got invited to be a court coach, at USA basketball when I was at St. John's and then I got fired that year. So I never made it out here, you know, um, that's a whole nother story, but, uh, cause they've never been the same St. John's by the way, but they, they'll get it back now with coach Patino. But, uh, so anyway, they invited me to do this. And I've, I've, I've fallen in love with it. And it's a way for me to give back, try to help us get to promote the sport, get it into the Olympics, which we're trying to do by November 1st. That would be the soonest we could qualify. Um, I've had to go recruit guys, tell them what the sport is. We get, we're talking about, you know, guys that have played in the NBA. Jimmer Fredette is playing for us this summer. Uh, Cassius Stanley played at Duke, played with the Pacers. So we've got a great group of kids. Uh, it's my passion. My son, James, who I mentioned is in the G League. I might have mentioned it off air, but James works in Grand Rapids. He's been a part of USA Basketball before with Jeff Van Gundy. So they said, why don't you bring James on board? The USA Basketball. And I said, great. So he's one of those guys that's all in on three on three. We got film on every team in the world. You know, we're getting ready to teach our guys, you know, next week how the game works. I'm with my family and it's unbelievable. And it's cool because here's the deal. I, I, this is roughly a guess, but only 250 people in the history of our country have represented the U.S. in basketball in the Olympics. All the guys oh, that, that play sense. five on five. Yep. Yep. Right. You know, it's been about and 20, those guys repeat. 20. And those guys repeat over and over again. And some of those guys repeat. So it's not 250. It's probably a little less. So um, I'm recruiting good players to play this. And we're going to go on tour this summer with two USA teams. Uh, it's a world tour, kind of like beach volleyball and it's prize money. So these guys can make like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 grand this summer. More importantly is they got a chance to help us qualify for Paris. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm in. And that's why I'm grateful for the opportunity to give a little back again. Yeah. How different is the game and, and the type of players you look for when it's just three on three? It's a great question. These are questions. There's no elevator pitch, my man. Like there's no, that's a, I can't walk into an elevator in 30 seconds. Have you, so I got to explain all this, Jamie. And it's a great question. So, so you and I are used to five on five, which is like the 1500 meters. 
Mm-hmm. Three on three is like the 200 hurdles. <laughs> it's half court. It's a 12 second shot clock. It's not, we're not talking about old timers day with the big three. Now that's old timers mm-hmm. day okay? <laughs> where they, where they stop and check it out. And, you know, this is, this, this is, unless there's a foul or a dead ball and it goes out of bounds, it's ball goes through the hoop. You throw it out. You got to clear the three point line. Uh, miss shot. You clear it. Same thing. You steal it. You got to clear it. It's not like on the playground. You steal it. You lay it in. <laughs> Uh, so there are rules, fast paced. A lot of a lot of the the, the general player, the per the perfect three on three player of all time would be LeBron James. Uh, of course, because he, he could. Yeah, of course, uh, <laughs> he'd be the perfect one on one player too. Maybe you but, can get him and Bronny in in a couple of years. You, you know? know, listen, I think I think before I leave this world, it's going to be NBA players playing three on three. Yeah, maybe as soon as twenty eight in LA, but right now it's G League, so. Um, but the average player, like the guy that we love, is the versatile six four to six seven guy. Yep. The Jimmy Butler type, Demar Derozan. Uh, there's a lot of switching. Um, there's a lot of you can, big guys are too slow for the sport. Little guys get posted. So the ideal player would be six five six six, with mm-hmm. some versatility, some strength. Could post up maybe. And when I mentioned some of the guys, like Khalil Iverson, four year starter at Wisconsin. He's six five, jumps out of the gym. Cassius Stanley, um, Keaton Wallace, who's yeah. Caseman's older brother, yeah. uh, who's going to be a first round pick. Keaton's average eighteen a game for the for Paul Hewitt and the Clippers G League team the last two years. Guy Dusty Hannes is a bucket getter. Yeah. Played at played at Arkansas. A little, you know, a lot of these guys have dipped their toe in the NBA, and it hasn't yet happened for them. So. To me, this is their chance to do something special in their lives and help us qualify, maybe play in the Olympics. Yeah, you know, you also mentioned a guy, Jimmer Fredette. Uh, yeah. I remember I, I just got into the office at Bucknell. I was an operations guy there for Pat Flannery. Yeah. And they were recruiting Jimmer Fredette, right? So yeah. we come to the office, we have the whole recruiting board up, and and you know, they're going through all the names, and Flannery just goes up to the board. He races every name on the board, but Jimmer <laughs> Fredette. And so, guys, I don't care what you're talking about. If we yeah. get this Jimmer for that kid, none of, none of this other stuff matters, right? <laughs> I love and, it, man. And, and this is before like YouTube, so I'm like, who is this Jimmer for that kid? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then soon, Albany, you know, Albany, New York, Albany, New York, <laughs> right, right. City, so, uh, Albany City rocks, Albany yeah. City rocks. Yeah. Oh no. So, and, and he's 33 now. He lives in Denver. He's already he's already played NBA, made his money, China. He's got three young children in Denver, right up the road. And he, I, I recruited him. I said, look. I know you're a competitor. I know you don't want to be gone, you know, 52 weeks a year. But if you do this six to eight weeks this next coming summer, you have a chance to help us qualify for the Olympics. And he still got it. He can still score. And now, you know, whether he makes it or not, it's not a definite. He's got to make the team and we got to qualify. But you put Jimmer around some athletic guys and he makes everybody better. So um, it's fun. You know, I, I don't know if you remember Kareem Maddox who played at Princeton. Yeah, absolutely. Kareem's 32, 33 now working for the Timberwolves. And Kareem has been locked in on three on three forever because he didn't go overseas. He has his little entrepreneurial stuff and now working with the T-Wolves. But, you know, Kareem's involved. Robbie Hummel was involved until his back gave out. So those guys got it started. Uh, Kareem, Canyon Barry, Robbie Hummel. Now we've got Jimmer. Now we've got some, you know, young G League guys. And we're, you know, it's become my passion in the summer. Yeah, it's a, you know, you know, you and I had a conversation about it probably, I don't know if it was two years ago, but 
but it might have been two years ago. I think we just had a conversation about it or and and so I started looking at the rules. So my last year or two at GW, I went like heavy three on three in the preseason. Yeah. Because um, it's just such a great conditioner. Um, yes. You really work on your skill level. You really got to compete. And we don't have to do it for a super long time. Um, no you doubt. play to 16, you got the 12 second shot clock. You yes. know, I think what's a uh, 12 minute limit, 15 minute limit or something? 10 minute game. 10, 10 minute, minute game. game. So everything's just quick. And first team to 21, just like the, just like the, the Y, you know, and if, if, but if you don't get the 21 and the 10 minutes runs out, then you, whoever's ahead wins. Yep. So it, it's really fun. And, and again, great player development because of the quick decision-making. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and you're playing against some really smart teams overseas and a lot of, a lot of the teams, the best teams in the world are, believe it or not, all in their thirties mm-hmm. guys that played five on five and transitioned to this. So, um, it's been really a great uh, – I would say this, Jamie, and it's um, – for me personally, as someone who's, you know, you said curious before, it's really opened up my eyes to just different types of – I mean, there's some three-on-three concepts that fit five-on-five. Five. Yeah. And so when I show people horn sets and things like that, they freak out. They go, I can use this. You know, I can, I can, I, we can run this. And yeah. so th- there's a lot of stuff that I've learned that it's just expanded my basketball knowledge because – this is something I want to tell you. Um, and you know, I know you've got some young coaches listening and some young, young people starting their careers. I learned something about basketball every week of my life. Like I'm, I'm 64, man. And I don't know it all. Honestly, I know a lot and I've learned a lot, you know, uh, but I definitely don't know it all. And every week of my life, there's something I learned about basketball and I go, damn, I wish, wish I would have known that, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. And so you, you got to have that growth mindset. Uh, that Carol Dweck talks about in that book, Mindset. And for me, I'm so curious that I'm constantly learning new stuff. And then when I learn it, I pass it on. Yeah. I, how do you do this? One of the hardest things for me, I, I'm similar, is like, how do I keep all this organized? Like, I, I got, a, I saw a concept last night and I was like, oh, I got to draw that up. So I'm drawing it up. So I end up with yeah. all these papers all over the place. You um, know, uh, hey, listen, man, <laughs> I, I, I'll show you how I keep it organized. Like, I got this little playbook here, right? This little notebook, uh-huh. USA. It's all blank. And you and just keep I, you just keep writing them in there. Writing them in there, you know. And and uh, James is a one of those video freaks, the playbook mm-hmm. freak, you know, from being in the with you know with the magic. And and so I'll send him plays. I'll say, put it in a playbook, you know, like a quick hitter play if we need a three at the end of a game. Mm-hmm. So again, um, and then other coaches. <clears throat> You know, I, I love to save stuff and file it away. And then, you know, if someone says, hey, you got anything on your coaching philosophy? I'll look in my folder and scan it out to them and pass yeah. it on. You know, no use in my, my file cabinet anymore. As well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so it's going to go to waste if I don't share it. Yeah. Uh, that's what who, I try to who, do. Who is the best three-on-three team in the world right now? It's a, it's a team called UB. U-B. Okay. They're from Serbia. And uh, in fact, we open with them very tonight in Japan wow. at 1 a.m. Eastern. And it's kind of good that we're playing them first, because if we lose to them, we can still get to the quarterfinals, but we won't see them until the final. Gotcha. And so they're the best team in the world. And they're very veteran, crafty, sneaky, tough. And uh, and I'll tell you this, we steal everything from them. They, <laughs> they, they don't they put they put all their practices on Facebook. Don't ask me why. <laughs> We steal everything from them. And James is a stealer. You know, he's been really good. And he'll reach out to the coaches over there and say, hey, what are you doing this? How do you do this? And so 
we're actually learning the game through these best teams. You know, when I was the coach at St. John's, um, UConn was the best team in the Big East. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, they're the bully on the block. We got to go punch them in the nose. And But at the same time, we're stealing what makes them good. Yeah. And so it's the same way with anybody. You ever get into a conference, high school or college, who's the best team in the league? That's who we're going after. Yeah. And that's um, what we're that's what we're doing. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, yeah. Is there more is there a more underrated head coach in the maybe the history of the game than Jim Calhoun and the job that he's oh, been able to do at UConn? I don't know. I don't know if we speak about it enough. Yeah. You know, because all these other blue bloods have been blue bloods for a very long time. Yes. His yes. his creation of a blue blood started, you know, X number of years ago, but in a short, short time frame. You know, I would say this about him, and there's only a few coaches I know like this. You could probably think of a couple. His force of personality is such that you put him at the University of Alaska Anchorage, they'll be in the Sweet 16 by year two. Yeah. That's that's Jim Calhoun, you know, and I have the utmost respect for him. We didn't we kind of butted heads for a couple of years in the Big East, but that's just because he was the bully. Yeah. And I was trying to punch him in the nose. And uh, but I'll never forget this. This is the greatest Jim Calhoun story ever. They're playing Northeastern. I'm watching SportsCenter and they're playing Northeastern, where, as you know, he started his D1 career. The opening tap, Northeastern gets the tip, quick pass, scores. They, they're up 2 nothing with like 19.57 to go in the first half. Timeout. He calls timeout. <laughs> they win by 40. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he goes, ah, uh-uh, we ain't having this. We're not having this. We're not losing the tip and getting scored on. And that's the essence of Jim Calhoun. And yeah. so, you know, and I think, and here's the other thing, great coaches who you compete against, they make you better. Yeah. As a, as your, as your own coach, you know, you have that experience of going up against some guys that you go, you know, damn, man, I got to coach against this guy tonight, you know? Yeah. And my very first game at Manhattan college, I thought I knew it all when I was an assistant. Right. You know? And so we're getting ready to play Hofstra. I'm at Manhattan college. I inherited a good team. I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're playing against Hofstra and Butch Van Bredikoff. Oh, wow. Now that's, that's a name that, you know, if you're a historian of the game, Coach Bill Bradley at Princeton, Final Four at Princeton, L.A. Lakers with Chamberlain and uh, Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, coached in other NBA teams, and I'm getting ready to coach against him. And so I'm in my locker room before the game, and I'm thinking, damn, if coaching has anything to do with this tonight, I'm screwed. I mean, I'm screwed. <laughs> this guy's got like 1,500 games of coaching experience. Well, we win by 20 because I just had a better team. Yeah. I, I just had more talent. And, it, we were, and we were prepared, but – it wasn't the coaching. It was just, you know, we had better team. And so, but the point is great coaches challenge you to be better at what you do and they make you better. And I see it all the time in my world at ESPN. Bill Self says all the time that Scott Drew has made Kansas better. Yeah. And Kansas has made Scott Drew better. And Kansas has made everybody. The reason the big 12 so good is you either catch up to Kansas or you're screwed. Right. And and that's why the big 12 is so good is because you've got teams that have gone after Kansas, haven't always caught up to them, but are so close now they become NCAA tournament teams. Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that. I, I, so the day Bob McKillop retired, yeah, he was at Dayton when I was at GW. I sent him a text, you know, and <laughs> say congrats and you know just a great career. And I and I said I always say this because I, I said I really enjoyed competing against you, competing against yeah. your teams. And he wrote back, "We made each other better, didn't we?" And exactly. I, I, I like don't want to text him again because I'm like, I just want to keep that text. You know, he's I thought a, that was such yeah. an interesting way of thinking about it. You know, he's first of all, he's a very close friend of mine and he, oh, wow. he knows, 
He knows a lot about basketball. Yes, he does. And and I have a great deal of admiration for him because he was a great coach before Steph Curry. That's yeah, what people yeah. don't realize. Great high school coach. And then even at Davidson, they had great success. And then Steph, you know, obviously put him on the map for good. But, yeah, no question. I mean, you, you have to – you know, every time you play against an opponent, it's a puzzle. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're you're gonna you're trying to figure stuff out. How do I stop this? How do I stop that? Well, I, I like I I know I remember coaching against Oliver Purnell, who's a great coach, obviously. Yeah. And when I when I we studied Oliver's team, I said they change their defense every TV timeout. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know that from coaching against teams over and over in the league. Like, so you're always all right. Now we we come out of a team, we come out of a timeout here. It could be one three one or two three, but they were just in man. So. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do now. They're almost definitely going zone. Just be ready. Boop, boop, boop. And great coaches make you better because they stretch your yeah. knowledge. And, you, you know, the other thing about that is your team is going to only have confidence in you if they feel like you've got the answers to the quiz. Right. And when right. you say to them, hey, listen, you know what? <clears throat> They're going 2-3 here. Let's run the two, our 2-3 our lob play. Let's stick it right up there. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> I know they're I know they're changing their defense. So, you know what? I'll, I'm just using this as an example. I don't know that this ever happened. It happened with me and Leonard Hamilton actually. But, um, hey, they go zone, zone lob, throw it up, catch, dunk. All right, go ahead, MFR, go zone. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like a chess match, you know. Yeah. And, and so that's the fun part about coaching. And great coaches definitely make you better. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> if there's anything. I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not. You know, some people get so infatuated with winning. Yeah. I was so infatuated with just competing. And if yeah. we competed at the highest level and, and we happen to lose, I mean, I'm like, like we're talking about the pickup game. I'm like dapping up the head coach. Like, yeah. you know, you, you just, you, you got us today, but we gave you everything we had. And I was always That's- just trying to get our teams to be able to do that. That's old school, man. You know, now you got guys like blow by handshakes and <laughs> like, I, I'll never forget. Uh, and this is, this is true. I mean, God knows this is true, but <clears throat> I, I'm coaching against Skip Prosser in the Mac. Okay. Loyola and, and, uh, and Manhattan. Yep. And I got to the finals, I think three of my four years. So, and you know, the pressure of a, you know, the, you know, better than anybody, one bid. Pressure, you know, Mount St. Mary's man, pressure yeah. of a one bid league is, there's, I always tell people, I don't know about you, but, there's no pressure I've ever felt in my life in coaching as playing in a one bid league championship. Game. Right. No doubt. People don't recognize it. I always said that one bid league life is different. Oh man. Right? You could dominate the league. You could be 16 and two. It doesn't right. matter. People and don't so, recognize how hard that is. You know, when oh, I was in the A-10 man. and we we're getting three bids in every year, I look at our team like, look guys, we got three chances to get into this thing. Yeah, you know, but yeah. we're in the NEC. It was like we've got to we've got to be really good all year long, and we've got yeah. to peak the right time, and we've got to get a little bit lucky to complete this. Oh, no doubt about it, man. And you can't have the you can't have one of those four or five. You're gonna have five bad games every season. <laughs> right. You are, yeah. and then you're gonna have five games where you make like eleven of thirteen from three. Yep. And you go, why can't we save this? You know. <laughs> but and when I was in the MAC, John Beeline, oh, Mike wow. Dean. Skip Prosser, Ted Fiore at St. Peter's, tremendous coach, right? Go right mm-hmm. down the line. Jack Armstrong who was, uh, was a terrific coach in Niagara. And so, but we were all friends and, you know, we had respect. And so like, I remember one year I had a 15 point first half lead against Loyola and Skip had two kids who became eligible like in January. 
mm-hmm. really good. <laughs> a kid named Tracy Bergen, who was a little white guard from DeMatha. Mm-hmm. And then a kid named Michael Reese, a transfer from Boston College. Okay. So we we beat them twice easily in the in the regular season. We lose a 15-point lead at you know, we get it was seven at half, and we lose the game, close game, right to the wire. I was upset, but I was happy for Skip. I was going down to shake his yeah. hand. And you just don't have that as much anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think, Coach, I don't think we know each other nearly <laughs> as well. I mean, we I mean, again, and I'm like I'm, it's weird. Cause I'm like the younger, I'm like the older of the younger. Right. Um, but right. I remember us having to travel to recruiting events together. You know, we had to do all the film exchange stuff together. The first, my first five or six years, like there was a lot of, there was a lot of community you needed to get the job done. You know, no, we're now no. we, you, you can kind of be an isolate and not know anybody and still move up in the ranks. You know, it's funny because when I started coaching and you might, I don't know if you were around for this or when they stopped in-person scouting, but we would scout in person in the eighties and early nineties. Like mm-hmm. you would go to a game and sit down. Like I'll never forget. We lost a buzzer beater in overtime when I was at Providence with Rick Barnes at Villanova in the, in the, in the fin. Um, we used to call it the ski lodge, you know, <laughs> it looks like a ski lodge. And, and, uh, and so, and, and we, and we got cheated at the end, like Marty Connell hit a shot at the buzzer. There's no replay. It counted. They waved it off. We lose in overtime. And we lost a 19-point lead in that place. We, we were yeah. killing them. And the next night, where I'm at Pittsburgh scouting, and I see Coach Jay Wright, you know, young guy like me, he's walking yeah. towards me to sit down next to me, you know, to scout. He's shaking his head like, man, I can't believe that game. Yeah. And, boy, did you get screwed, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and then we would, like, share, like, hey, what did they call that last play? That's three down. Yeah. You sure it's three down? I thought I heard, uh, you know, eight, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we shared, you know. I taught Skip Prosser how to recruit. I'm a young coach in Ohio at Ohio U. Yeah. And Skip and Skip went to Xavier with Pete Gillen, who, who, by the way, when I was a freshman in high school, was my varsity coach. Okay. <laughs> was he calling and quick so, timeouts then too? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember so long ago. But but Skip Skip had just come to high to college from high school in West Virginia. He'd say, we'd be sitting at an open gym in the summer. That was another thing. We went yeah. to open gyms. Where you could mm-hmm. sit there with maybe only two other coaches, college coaches, and shoot yeah. the breeze. And Skip would say, "How often do you write that? write kids?" I go, "Well, it depends. You know, some guys like like to get a note every day. Some guys I write twice a week. How often do you call them?" So after a while, I said, "Damn, Skip, I'm giving you all my secrets." <laughs> but that's what we did, you know. And yeah. I give, and, and so, you know, that's and that's the camaraderie that I think probably is missing. But I see it in pockets, like, yeah. but it's not it's not what the way it was when we all started. Yeah, I mean the final four would be, you know, you'd you'd be out there, yeah. everyone would be out there writing down plays and and talking yeah. and going to see every speaker. And that was like a huge thing to be able to do. And um yes. now I feel like we've like created this like cloak of secrecy. Um that it's it's competitive. You know, I get that. But yeah, I, I do think there's yeah. a level of camaraderie where you're bringing people along with you. I think that's a that's a great part of our game that I hope you hope comes yeah. out. I totally agree. And and I've taught both both of my sons who are in the business about networking, but not in a phony way. Yeah. I said, I said, the young people that you meet, the young people your age that you meet today, they're going to be your friends the next 30 years, you know? And so develop those relationships, man, you know, because guys in their twenties are going to be in there. Trust me when I tell you this, I promise yeah. you guys in their twenties become guys in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. 
and the friends I had in my twenties are still my friends, you know, coaching yeah. friends. So <clears throat> you try to pass that stuff on too, because you, you really want people to have, it's, it has to be more than just about winning. It really does. We all want to win, but the com- competition and what guys that make you better because they compete and then the friendships that develop, that's, that's what's important. Yeah. Some of the best, you know, like a guy like Mike Morell, who's at Asheville had a great year this year. Yeah. Um, we were, he was working at uh, King college in Southwestern Virginia. I was working at Emory and Henry in Southwestern Virginia Yeah. and we'd almost see each other every weekend or at different events. And, you know, just through time, we've just become these friends through the entire business, through the highs and lows of the business, yeah. which is really, really, yeah. we really have teeth with somebody yes. yeah. um, is when, you know, something unfortunate happens and, and you know, you, you're there. Well, for listen, you and I both, you and I have both been fired yep. and I always tell people like, you're, you're the guys that don't like you, they're like happy. and there is a group of those people don't recognize there is a group of those people that aren't happy there's a few you know (laughs) but then there's a lot of your acquaintances that say that's too bad you'll have friends that call you and say hey man sorry when they hang up the phone they do this glad that's over (laughs) (laughs) and then your true four or five friends will check on you after that yeah and they'll say, Hey, how you doing, man? You know, what's up? What do you got going? You know, anything I can help you with? Yeah. And so that's why I probably, I do. When I know somebody has been fired, I'll reach out and say, Hey, call me if you need anything. I've been through it. Know what it's like. Things will, don't worry. Things will get better. Yeah. You know, God has a plan. Um, and that's kind of how I do it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and it, and it's super, <laughs> super appreciated. Um, <laughs> I want to, you know, you were there, you were there for a great moment that I don't, I don't even know if you recognize you were there for. So we're at Mount St. Mary's playing against UT Arlington. Um, yeah. We got beat by like 30. I mean, it was, it was an awful game. We got beat so bad. We were in the midst of a 21 day road trip where we brought in about $780,000. Yes. Um, but <laughs> then, then we ended up winning the league, winning every game in our conference, going to the NCAA tournament, winning a game. And, and then I think I opened the portal. <laughs> because my whole team left. Yes. Uh, yes. And I remember you yes. tweeting, man, I just saw this team get smacked by 30 <laughs> in, in December. And now everyone is a high major player. Cause we had, we had four guys go high major from that team. And did you recruit? I think you were the guy that recruited the kid from my son's high school at Highland park. Will Miller. Yes. Will Miller. Yes. I used to you could only Will. catch a shoot. <laughs> All he could do is shoot it, but he could shoot it. And, <laughs> yes. and I'll never forget, like he was not, he didn't start till middle of his senior year. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, the coach drove me crazy. My son was the point guard, Matt, you know, <laughs> yep. and, and like, I'm, it went, I was driving, it was kind of a favoritism thing. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was ticking me off. It was pissing me <laughs> off because I love Will and I knew he could shoot it. And, you know, he, he's playing like, and then when you offered him and I'll never forget this, cause you'll remember this when you went to Michigan state. Yeah. And he, and he hit like five threes in the oh, first yeah. half. And, and, and Izzo broke the clipboard yes. on, on, on Sports Center. Yeah. And I said, Will Miller, that's my guy. You know, because <laughs> as, a, as a coach, when I was a recruiter, I love finding those guys. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think we talked maybe later on that Texas has a million of those kids. <sighs> so many. In Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth, because yep. there's just not that many AAU teams. So uh, good for you that you have Will yeah. Miller because he, he it, probably won you a few games. Oh, he, he was always going to play for me. <laughs> Because yeah. you know, but it's crazy. So we're we're sitting there in December, and I recruited Texas a lot. Yeah. Um. When I was at William Mary and VCU and all the other places, and because I felt like there's so many diamonds in the rough. Yeah. And he just shot yes. the ball so well, and I was watching. Yeah. I basically watched every game. I'd watch his film every morning. 
Yeah. So we lose to LIU Brooklyn in the championship game. And I'm riding back on the bus and you've probably been there. And I wasn't really mad. I mean, we had, we had gone from, they'd won nine games the year before we won 18 in the first year there. So I wasn't really mad. Yeah. I wanted, wanted to get over the hump, but we didn't. Sure. And I just thought yeah. if we had one person that could shoot the ball, we would have won today. Yeah. yeah. And I picked my phone up and I, and I'd been texting with them and I was just like, and I, I remember I asked him, I said, if I, I said, what are you willing to do to help our team win? And he wrote back, I'll do anything to help our team win. And yes, yes. and I, and we flew out there two days later and then, you know, we offered him and, and he came out and visited and, you know, he made, he made five, so he made six threes in the NCAA tournament game his freshman year against all we're down, like we're down two to 15. He came back in and brought us all the way back single-handedly. Yeah. Um, I, ironically, great. ironically about the LIU teams we're playing is those teams had a lot of Jim Ferry Texas. had a lot of Texas kids. And when we moved to Dallas, I was like, Oh my God, there's not enough schools to fill. We, my boys both played a lot. Now, obviously yeah. high school and AAU. And I would see kids every weekend. I'm going, he's a division one player. He's a division. One player. <laughs> yeah. Who's recruiting him? Nobody, you know, cause nobody was really diving into Texas like that. Yeah. And, and once people started realizing it, and then big 12 has taken over the top level yeah. players, but so many good players in Texas, because by the way, Jamie and, and I, I, I always tell people this, like when I grew up in Brooklyn in the, in the 60s and 70s, most of my black friends were kids whose families moved from the South, mm, you know, mm. like in the 40s and 50s after World yep. War II, you know, and they moved up to the North and they worked in car factories and whatever, Manhattan. And, and, and then what I've found in recent years is with the economy in Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, cost of living lower, great weather. Yep. And we would be we would be at an AAU tournament. I'd see I'd, I'd, I'd listen to a guy talking about his kid, and I could hear the accent. He's from Philly. Yeah. You know? And I go, Hey, what's up, man? What are you? Where, you yet your son? Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Philly. What are you doing down here? Well, I work for FedEx, and they offered us a chance to mm-hmm. relocate. And my wife and I checked it out, and we get a house for two hundred thousand dollars. And yep. I said, We got to do this. And so all those people from Chicago, Detroit, New York, Philly, if you think about all those kids that yeah. end up in Atlanta, Houston, and Dallas. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people from up north. A lot of transplants, tra- transplants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool. And I've, and and also, what people don't understand, it's like really great school systems. That um, too. That great too. school systems. Yeah. Great education yeah. system there. So when I was at William Mary or any of these academic places, or even the non-academic places I've been at, it's like yeah. this is a place where you can go and sort of get a, like, you you can find anything you need. If you know how to yes. work the terrain a, a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. The, the, you know, the AAU coaches and, you know, the other thing about Texas is the PE period. Yeah, it's you the got, best. You got, you get to, you're, you're, a, and it's a football rule, obviously, but it, yeah. it helps everybody. You coach your team for basically from August to May. The varsity yeah. coach has, a, has at least one hour a day at a season with their kids. And that's, that's why Texas basketball um, among the reasons is so good right yeah. now is because the coaching's improved and the, you get a lot of those in basketball junkie families that move from yeah. the north. Yeah, I would come cool. down, spend four days, and see about thirty kids in four days, and you yes. could just knock them out if you organized it right. You could get someone yeah. right before school, someone, and yeah. and the high schools are so big, and they're like right around the corner from each other. Yeah. So once you yeah. learn the way, you could go. I mean, you could see seven kids in a day, yes. and, and still have dinner at, at seven o'clock. No, no doubt. Yeah, I, I, that, that's what I call the sociology of basketball, right there. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like why basketball's gotten good in Texas? There, I gave you some reasons. Yeah, um, I, I know you cover the Big Twelve. Uh, I'm like a huge fan of, of Bill Self and just yeah. what he's been able to do there at Kansas. What makes Bill Self so damn good? 
It's a great question. Um, and I've thought about this over 20 years and I've seen it firsthand. Obviously he's very competitive. Um, but also he has a way of figuring out what his team needs year to year. Mm. Granted, he gets some great players, but not mm. as many one and dones recently. You think not as it. many great players as people think either. Like, That's true. He's coaching or, a lot of guys and guys into that greatness. Get, that's true. You know, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, you know, Ochai Abaji just recently, Christian Brown, turn on a TV uh, tonight uh, or Saturday night, you'll see Christian Brown, a rookie playing for the Nuggets. And what what he does is he's very competitive. He's got a high standard. Every practice is intense. He doesn't move on from stuff unless he feels like you've given him every mm-hmm. effort. The other thing he does, and this is, I think, the secret sauce, he gives you amazing confidence. Wow. Amazing confidence. Like I saw him do this this year. He goes, hey, listen. Hey, 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 listen. Now, when we run this pick and roll up high, they're going to blitz us, okay? So we're going to hit the sh- we're going to hit the short roll right here, okay? Foul line. He's going to be open. And then when you swing it to Jalen, Jalen, you just bust, you just knock down the three. Mm-hmm. Just knock it down. And so, like, they run the play in the walkthrough, and they, they run it, you know, full speed. Short roll, hit, swing it to Jalen, swish. Yeah. Like, he's telling these guys before they've made it, you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, and one of the reasons you're going to make it is I'm coaching you to make it. Yeah. And by the way, you're at Kansas. Yeah. And you're supposed to make it. So yeah. there's some stuff there that people don't get that, you know, only coaches would know. Like, because you could rip a kid forever and that kid's never going to make a big shot. Right. It's not. Right. Because he's, he's too afraid. You know, and whereas Bill Self, he's going to get on your ass and he's going to correct you and yell at you. But then when it comes time to like give you the supreme confidence and Ochai Abaji is the perfect example last year, he, he willed them to an NCAA championship. Yeah. yeah. And here was a kid that got better every year. Wasn't great for the first two or three years. Yeah. But he kept, he kept putting that confidence into, into a Ochai and, and the, it just poured out. And he became hate a first round draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to get religious about it, uh, but it's like that when people talk about the Holy spirit, like pours it into somebody and that makes them, better yeah and it's like bill self he pours in confidence to you and like you just have to show you have to come through for him right you know and if you miss it it's going to be you're going to get the next one but that's he's just so good at that it's amazing when you have a person who raises your standard of confidence what you can achieve like i always say like most of us are probably limitless yeah in the things things we can really do but we limit ourselves um, and so to have that yeah. person beside you, like kind of nudge you, I always say like, I always say like Mark Jackson for some reason, I feel like yeah. Mark Jackson was like this perfect kind of like a hype man to have beside you to kind of push <laughs> you over the top yeah. Um, yeah, and to have that as a head coach, I, I can imagine pretty powerful. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The opposite is, and I've told my sons this, I tell young coaches, like I, I'm out of the verbal abuse business. I mean, I, I was a yeller a little bit when I was a coach, but I had great relationships with my guys but verbal abuse is out the window. I mean, that yelling at people and calling out their family. And my analogy is if I throw up on you, I just attacked you verbally. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So the analogy is I've just thrown up on you. Right. I can go get soap and water and you got that beautiful hoodie sweatshirt on right now and I can scrub it off with soap and water. You'll still smell like throw up. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so if I verbally attack you and I, I go, Hey, Hey, Jamie, man, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to get on you like that. I'm sorry. You know, my bad, my bad. You know, you might half accept that apology from your coach, but you'll say, man, he, he's an asshole. Yeah. And, and once so, you're an asshole, you're always the asshole. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to change that. You know, like, 
So I think it's the same way, but in reverse. You know, if you if you're down on guys or you call them out too much, without that love there, and that you know, Tom Izzo can still do it. I, I had a kid. I, you probably won't remember this name, but he played at the math of Ted Ellis. He he uh, he played for Coach Wooten in the '90s, and he could handle my yelling at him. Mm-hmm. Okay, he redshirted my first year with an ACL injury, so we talked all the time. That year he was sitting out, he was always in my office. And I knew he was a competitor because he played for Coach Wooten. And I can remember after a year with me on the court, I remember his senior year, I said, listen, you're the one guy I can yell at, and you're not going to be bothered by it, okay? you got to know when I yell at you, and I might go after you hard. Yeah, It's not to get on you. It's just certain guys I can't yell at. If I yell at you, I'm yelling at the whole team. And so, yeah, coach, I'm cool with it. I'm cool, cool. So Mm -hmm. one practice, I get on him hard, right? And after practice, like, you know, everybody's like, damn, man, Ted's (laughs) our leading scorer. Damn, you see that? And so, (laughs) you know, so after practice, like we're about most of the team had sort of drifted in afterwards, you know. You know you have a good team when guys stick around. Yeah. And shoot or want to just shoot the breeze with you. You're just drinking a Gatorade. Well, Ted comes over. He goes, hey, coach. I think you overdid it today. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was his way of saying, I told you I would handle it, but you kind of went a little overboard. You know, so you really, this is, coaching is a mind game, man. And, yeah. but it has to be a positive mind game. It has to be a mind game that comes from love. Yeah. I'll motivate the hell out of you and I'll get on you, but you got to know I love you. You got to know I love yeah. everything about you. And, you know, so, you know, you got, you know, you got to play those mind tricks. Yeah, no, that and that sort of type, that that relationship, um, and, you know, like that seems like such a small interaction, but his ability to come back to you and say that, yes. and to say a joke or be serious, whatever, right? That's really and that that's this the thing I don't want to get a tangent. This is the thing I'm most yeah, worried no, about. It's good. Yeah, the thing I'm most worried about with guys leaving all the time, yeah, is that that relationship and that comment is what makes you a great player. No, and question. if we can't have a relationship enough to get there a lot of players are not going to become great. They don't know it. They don't know what they're missing out on. I'm not, I'm not against transfers. I'm not. I, right. I get Agreed. Same here. Same here. You know, it's just the way it is now, but I see, you know, like there's nothing better. Like I remember a kid, I, I'll, I'll say his name, no jail Eastern. He was a three-year starter at Purdue, you know, and then he transferred to Michigan his senior year. And then I don't think it worked out. And I think he finished at Howard. Someone right. told me, and no, Joe was a three-year starter. He couldn't shoot, so he wasn't going to be an NBA player. But I thought to myself, damn, man, you were going to be a Purdue man for the next 50 years. Yeah. You know, you're a Purdue. I mean, okay, I get it. Michigan, okay, you know, maybe Jawan Howard's there. I get it. You know, great coach. But, like, all that all that stuff that makes you great, the adversity, yeah, is so – we're taking that out of the equation now. And it's just so sad because uh, – yeah, you know, it's just that's what's going to that, that's that's one of the secret sauces of being a great player is being able to overcome challenges and adversity and being coached tough. Yeah. See, that's the other thing. Not 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 verbal abuse this is different. Now, being coached hard. And I, I'll never forget. I had a kid at St. John's, LeVar Postel. He made it to the NBA for four years. He probably didn't have a business playing the NBA because he wasn't that talented. But I remember his first practice with the Knicks. He goes up to Tom Thibodeau, the assistant coach at that time. Mm-hmm. And he looks at him and he goes, ha ha, as a coach Fran practice today. In other <laughs> words, Tom was like in his ass. They were going hard. Yeah. And like, I used to tell my guys, 
You'll never get cut from a team. If it's you and the guy from Cal or you and the guy from Purdue, you're making the team. If it's even, yeah, you're making the team because I'm pushed you so hard that you're not going to, you're not going to let, you're not going to, that's not going to be the obstacle that keeps you from making the team. Yeah. And, and, and Zendon Hamilton, who I remember, you know, that name Zendon yeah. and I are still close, you know, and at Zendon's wedding last year, he got married a little later at 42. He goes, where's coach Fran? He goes, I made four NBA teams because of that guy. Now, when, I, <laughs> when I coached him, trust me, when I coached him his junior and senior year, it was like this. Yeah. And, and one time I said to him about 10 years after his career, I said, I owe you an apology, man. I, I was tough on you. He goes, go, 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 stop. You're the reason I drive a Range Rover. <laughs> so, so like there's that art form. There's an art form that you still yeah. have to have as a coach of how to be tough, but how to be humane. Yeah. And the great coaches today, the Izzo's, the, you know, the, the, the Bill Selfs, the Leonard Hamilton's, the guy, they have that. There's never a doubt that you don't ever feel like they don't love you. Yeah. And so that's, that's what's missing, man. We can't let that leave yeah. you know, the profession. I mean, I remember, you know, I used to have kids come in the office and they say, coach, I'm thinking about transferring. And it'd be like a conversation. We'd have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And I would say, well, you know, you know, I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like you, I'm like super honest. I had yeah. one kid one time tell me, well, coach, I think if I transfer the A-10, I said, look, if you go in the portal, you're going to be the highest rate transfer. Like, you're not going to go yeah. in the A-10. You're going to probably be at Kentucky or Florida or someplace. Um, yeah. But I've also had guys who I said, listen, like, I don't know if your market's going to be great. And I don't yeah. think this is what you should do, you know? And again, and I, and I have really strong relationship with all, with that group of guys, all that group of guys, yeah. because of the yeah. honesty, but you yeah. don't get to the honesty unless there's like a lot of trust built in through some difficult times. Well, the difficult times is it that's where you yeah. build trust you know that's where you build trust that's where you you know i would go home on a on a random tuesday night we just won by 25 points i'm worried about my 10th man yeah i'm, yeah. I'm like damn man we yeah we won we played great but that, i should have got like that guy only played eight minutes tonight yeah and i'm worried about him i'm going home texting him and you know and and so yeah you know you if you you really you know, and by the way, as a young coach, you learn all this too. I mean, this is the yeah. stuff now that is, this is my wisdom. Yeah. I wish I knew a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, you know, when I first started out because so much of it is trial and error. And, yeah. uh, and you got to hope that you have that kind of stability in your program or with your athletic director, you know, yeah. best thing about coaching at places like Mount, Mount St. Mary's and, and Manhattan is you can learn how to be a head coach without a lot of people knowing about it. Right. Right. And, and a lot of these guys will get thrust into the, and now with social media, it's even changed because you could be, I, I'm, I'm reading, they're ripping like uh, my man, Carmen up at Siena, you know, yeah. I'm like, damn, like the guy won 20 games and like three years. Social in a row. Media. <laughs> yeah. Social media. Like, like uh, these guys I follow, you know, Goodman, obviously, you know, yeah. but like these guys I follow on these East coast guys, I'm like, damn, man, I'm glad they weren't around when I was coaching. Cause we had a guy foul out in the first half. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I would have been cru crucified, but uh, that's not really true, by the way. But I did have a guy pick up four fouls in the first half. <laughs> yeah. and, but I mean, these are the things you learn as a coach when no one's watching. Yeah. And now it's it's a little harder. It's a little harder from that. For respect. sure. So sure. You know. Well, coach, I appreciate your time. I've got one question for you. We Go got on. we do this thing on last call here, um, and it's the end of the night. Um, the bartender's yeah. rung the bell. It's oh, the God. last call. We're at a we're at a we're at a tabletop. It's the person on your left is someone who's retired. Oh, person on your right is someone who's still actively working. No family for you because I know you got a lot of family in yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
what two people do you want beside you at the end of the night? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. You mean like actual people? I thought you were going to make me pick between the older guy and the younger guy. No, no, you you get to pick two. You get two. What two people you want to be sitting beside at the end of the night? One retired, one still actually working. Well, first of all, I drink iced tea, so it can't be somebody. can't be Bob (laughs) Huggins because I'd be under the table. Or Raftery, okay? Can't be Raftery for sure, although he would be close. He would be close. Um, Probably would be Rick Barnes. You know, okay. Coach Barnes, who, who uh, you know, I've known since my teenage years and I work for him at Providence. And dude, I don't know. I don't know Coach Barnes at all. You got to tell, uh, tell me why. Rick he's a, well, because he's uh, we talk about all the qualities that make somebody a great coach as far as how they treat their people mm-hmm. and their, their players and the people that work for him. And like he's going to he's on his way to 800 wins. He's the same guy from Hickory, North Carolina. I met when I was 20 years old. Um, he's been very successful, but he's as humble as he's ever been, treats people right. Every time we hang up now, he tells me he loves me. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's that kind of relationship. So probably, probably be coach Barnes, but there are certainly other people that are in that mix. Scott Drew is okay. a very close friend. Um, so, you know, Bill, if you say, if you told me Jay Wright or Bill Raftery, I'd put my hand up and say, yeah, but probably coach Barnes. Cause I work for him, you know, okay. and then a young guy, um, what, what about a retired guy? Oh, retired, retired too. I would say I would say I'd probably have a great time with Raff. Okay, Bill Raftery, and partly because he has so many stories about the history <laughs> of the game that I love. Okay, yeah. now I'll tell you this: you got me thinking. If there's one guy I wish I'd, I met him, I met him once, and I say this, uh, and I I feel responsible for pushing this. John Calipari and Tommy Amaker did a great job with this during COVID. But John McClendon mm. is somebody that I would have loved to have gotten to know better because and Coach Raveling is a dear friend. Yep. Yep. Um, a dear friend. And it's probably Coach Raveling is probably who I want would want to. I'm gonna scratch all that. If you want a retired guy, I'd say George. And we've had those moments where we have talked about everything from coaching at Villanova to coaching in the ACC as the first black assistant coach, first black head coach in the uh, Pac-8, Olympic assistant, Nike. That man is amazing. John McClendon started with James Naismith, The Secret Game. If you're you're listening to this, look up The Secret Game between uh, North Carolina Central and uh, the Duke alumni in the medical Mm -hmm. school. Uh, three Three NAIA titles, first black professional coach first first coach ever fired by george steinbrenner uh, how about that one cleveland pipers um and at the end of his life i was sitting at a at a uh, at a pool at a ritz carlton we were at a dickie v function i'm sitting next to isaiah thomas the indiana detroit pistons mm-hmm. he looks at the book i'm reading a book on john mcclendon he goes he worked at the boys club in south side of chicago when i was growing up when wow. he was retired, he just helped out at the boys club in Chicago. And that man spanned James Naismith to Isaiah Thomas. Wow. That's pretty and cool. So that's pretty cool. And then as a, as a young guy, I would just say, I can't think of anybody other than a young, you know, a, you wouldn't let me mention my, my boys, but I would just say anybody in that era that I can help move forward in their careers. Yeah. Well, coach, you're a, you're a treasure to the game. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, big fan of yours. I appreciate you as a man. Thank um, you. Appreciate and uh, if there's it. anything I can ever do to support you, you know, you've got a big fan here. 
No, hey, listen, always enjoy. I, 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 I you know, I, I love your journey. I know there's so many great things in store for you left. Um, sharing this game like the way we have today for an hour or so, wonderful. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships, and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to connecting with you soon.